I invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to James chapter 3 as we continue our study. James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. The Lord's brother once again shows his connection to Jesus. Uh, this is a little bit of trivia, but it's the kind of trivia that shows the connection. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, actually in the Bible, but in the New Testament in particular, there's a number of words that's used for, for what we would call hell. Uh, here, he uses the word Gehenna. And the only other person in the New Testament who uses Gehenna is Jesus. So, linguistically, he was raised in the same household as our Lord. It's just one of those cute, I shouldn't say cute, but one of those interesting little trivia bits that you're raised in the same house, you have the same kind of vocabulary. So, it's interesting to me anyway. So, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this word. And we thank you for having the love to convict us of that which is a, a problem for so many of us. Indeed, for all of us. Lord, grant that by your spirit we would listen to his voice and we would obey your word and mortify the flesh. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. 
Well, brothers and sisters, the Bible speaks a lot about speaking. Earlier in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 26, we already read, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. The Bible, throughout its many pages, says a great many things. So Proverbs 10:19 says that when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Our Lord in Matthew 12:26 goes so far as to say that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. In Ephesians 4.29, the Apostle Paul instructs us that no corrupting speech should come out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. So it needs to be useful for building up. It needs to be timely that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace to those who hear. He goes on in Colossians 4 telling us that our speech must always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that may you know, so that way we would know how to answer each person. He drives the point home that there should be no filthiness or foolish talk coming out of our mouths, but instead let there be thanksgiving. The author of Ecclesiastes writes that so circumspect and so cautious ought we to be about what comes out of our mouth. That even in our bedroom, he says, even when you think you're away from any listening ear, in Ecclesiastes 10.20, he says, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. And of course, he's being, he's being hyperbolic there, but he's referring to the fact that you never know who's listening. How many times have someone been undone by things they said when they thought they were safe or alone even? So that David in Psalm 141 tells us, actually he tells the Lord, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Have you ever wondered why the Bible spends so much time talking about what we say? Here in today's passage, James 3, 1 to 12, you have Scripture's longest continuous discussion about speech. Another little bit of trivia for you. And James gets to the heart of the matter in verses 9 and 10 when he ponders and wonders and is perplexed by the fact that out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. That with the same mouth that we use to praise God, we curse people made in God's image. He's bewildered by that, befuddled. And so that's the core of this passage there's this great juxtaposition about what is and what ought to be. Because indeed, 
Fig leaves and olives are not produced from the same vine. In the same way, it is incongruous for someone who has been born again, who has put on the new man, to live, act, and talk like they're still the old. We're told that the tongue is a small thing, but yet it has remarkable influence. He says that here. And of course, we know it's true. When you think literally the tongue is just a small part of your body, it's not the sole instrument of speech, but it's the thing that flaps around in our mouths that enables us to make sounds that are intelligible. But at a greater, more metaphoric level, human speech is an amazingly powerful thing. On the one hand, we say, sticks and, we used to say, at least I used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But yet anybody who's lived more than a minute knows that's not true. Words have been used to hurt people in ways that sticks and stones never could. I have seen stone-cold infantry killers brought to tears by a 95-pound waif of his, of his girlfriend. Words can hurt, and we know that. Words can raise up armies. Words can destroy homes. Words are powerful. And he gives us two illustrations of their power. In verses 3 through 5, he talks about bits in the mouths of horses and rudders on the backside of a ship. And the whole thing can be guided by this little bitty part of the whole. Now, he alludes to it in regards to the ship. But it's not like the bit by itself controls the horse. It's not like the rudder by itself controls the ship. There's an operator at play. And what he wants you to understand is that when you are speaking... It is not as if you are in full, you're not in full control of what your tongue is doing. What are you talking about? How many of, no, don't raise your hands. <laughs> Hardly a day goes by where I'm not saying something and I'm in the middle of saying it and my brain is saying abort. Abort, abort, and I still say it. How many times a week do you say something, oh, that's not what I meant. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or whatever. If we're in such steel trap control of our tongues, then why do we so commonly have that experience? You see, there's a hidden operator operating in us. And Jesus gives a hint as to what that is. The, 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 the person or the things pulling the reins, directing that horse's head by means of the bit, 
directing the ship by means of the wheel which turns the rudder. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 24, 12, 34, that it's out of the abundance of the heart that we speak. The heart, the seed of our desires, the seed of our old selves. Our heart, in, as you know from your doctrine of salvation, is dead. Your heart is hard. Your heart is calloused. Your heart, your heart is hostile to God. And so we need a heart transplant, so to speak. That's how, that's how Jeremiah describes it. Remove the heart of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh. We have within us this war that goes on. It's described in Romans 7, where Paul, he's born again. Nonetheless, he's finding himself in this continual struggle with the old self. And it keeps popping up. I don't do what I want to do. And the things I want to do, I don't. Have you ever had that experience? Of course you have. And now James here is applying that same logic to the tongue, which is the principal and primary and almost always the initial vehicle by which our wills and the desires of our heart get expressed. Think about the trouble and the chaos that speaking, that communicating has wrought in your own life, and you know what he's talking about. Because in verse 8, he expressly says, no human can tame the tongue. How is that true if the tongue is just, if I'm just supposed to exert my will over my... Your tongue is not following your every command. You have a war going on within you. You have an old self and a new self struggling. And that's why you don't do the things you want to do. And that's why you say the things you don't want to say. That's why you don't say the things you should say. It is restlessly evil. Full of poison. And then we see that there's this great power of destruction. In verse 6, after describing a scene that we're all familiar with, a blazing wildfire. We, we're familiar with that, even if you haven't lived through one. I mean, just last summer we were driving in Colorado and the smoke from wildfires out west, they were all the way into central South Dakota. Wildfires famously start by someone failing to put out their campfire properly or something. Sometimes they start by lightning strikes, but usually it's just, oops. But then he goes further. In verse, in verse 8, he calls the tongue, sorry, in verse 6, he calls the tongue a fire that sets ablaze the whole course of one's life. Wow. Lives have been derailed. Careers have been ruined. Think about all that's happened because of saying something. But then here's where it gets, gets real sinister. I, I was telling Ian, until I studied this passage for this sermon, I, I had never studied this passage before. 
I always thought when it said, the tongue is set among the members, setting on fire the whole course of life and set on fire by hell, I thought what that meant is the tongue does bad things and if so it's going to be destroyed in hell. That's not what it's saying. That is not what it's saying. It is saying the tongue is a torch. And it's going around <laughs> burning stuff. But consider for a moment, where did the torch get lit? And that is what James is saying. The torch, that is your tongue, was set ablaze by the fires of hell itself. What James is alluding to is this, he's bringing together the great themes of biblical theology. That the old man, the, that, in, that was in rebellion against the Lord, hostile to the purposes of the Lord, was in fundamental allegiance with Satan and the purposes of hell. And so when this war breaks out that we describe from Romans 7, where the old man and the new man are fighting, and our tongues naturally lash out, our tongues in the flesh desire to serve and advance the purposes of hell. Sometimes that takes the form of destruction, of saying mean and hurtful things. But at other times, it serves the purposes of devil, of, of hell, that, that people stay comfortably numb. And so the words that come out are meant to soothe and comfort and placate and to keep anesthetized. Our purposes, the purposes of our tongue, that is, serve the purposes of hell or... If we in the new man are using the Spirit's power to mortify the flesh, our words serve the purposes of the kingdom of God. You are not a free agent. You are serving one of two kingdoms. When our speech is unguarded and unrestrained, it serves the devil's causes. But by God's spirit and grace, we leverage our new life in Christ. Our words become truly life-giving. That doesn't always mean butterflies and sunshine. The word of God is meant for us to sometimes have to correct and reprove and rebuke. And no one likes being rebuked. People always believe that when they've been rebuked, that the person who did the rebuking could have done it better. So not every harsh word is, 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 is devil's purposes. But there's grace. And no use of harsh words comes without the grace on the back end. So this takes us back to the beginning of verse 1. Why is it that no one, not everyone, not many, should become teachers? Because serving the purposes of the devil is not just about saying true, mean, or harsh things. It's not just about 
justifying sinful actions and behaviors. It's not just about mobilizing bad people to do bad things. It's, it's saying an untruth that sounds true, that deviates from the truth by mere degrees, that it takes time and distance for those degrees to be extrapolated out to see that the course that was set upon has now been far gone, lost from the truth. Teaching is dangerous. It's dangerous for the listener because you are susceptible to learning and then believing wrong, untrue things. And again, not untrue things in some crazy quackery. Wrong by degrees. And it's dangerous for the speaker because if the teacher so misleads then the judgment is strict. So, Paul, in Romans 1 Corinthians 9, he writes of disciplining his body to ensure that it is submitted, submitted to his will in Christ. It doesn't come natural. It requires mortification, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. So what does this look like? For us as speakers, we're all speaking beings. We, we join the Lord in that. The Lord speaks. And he created us as beings who speak. We share his image in that way. So first, I want you to come out of here reflecting that your flesh, your flesh, and, and that is to say your words, your tongue is like, is like the ring of power. It wants, it wants, it wants to serve the purposes of the evil one. And what will naturally come out are words that are either harmful, untrue, or so confusing that it just invites the other person to have miscommunication. And oh boy, what fun the devil can have when miscommunication abounds. So reflect on the fact that your tongue wants to serve hell's purposes. Second, based upon that reflection, restrain your impulses. More times, more often than not, our impulse, the first reaction impulse we have is probably sinful. Especially if my urge is to say something or do something. Especially if it's in response to what someone else said or did that I don't like. Restrain. Time is the enemy of the devil and time is the aid to sanctification. Take a moment. And then when you've said something, okay, he speaks of a fire that's just gone. And, and you know from watching these wildfire videos, it does not take long for that spark to become a massive blaze. It's, it's shocking. They, they showed us this, these, uh, the, the little huts we had to stay in in Afghanistan. They wanted to show us how important it is that you don't, 
smoke in or around it or light it. They lit one of those bad boys up and it was reduced to ashes in like 90 seconds. They had us in death traps. Okay, a forest catches fire quickly under the right conditions. So when you've said something, when, when, when the horse has left the gate, when the trigger's been pulled and the bullet is going out of the barrel, you can't stop it. You can't take back what was said. So what then falls to us is essentially damage control. Stop it. Stop the spread as fast as you can. And typically, if you've said something sinful, this means repenting. Now listen to me right now. Sinful people respond sinfully to being sinned against. And half the time we say things we shouldn't, it's in response to someone else doing what they shouldn't have. There's no way, there's no way, there's no way I'm going to say I'm sorry. They had it coming. Or if I show, if I say sorry, I'm showing weakness. Whatever excuse we have, all we have done in that moment is furthered the purposes of hell. As much as it depends upon you, brothers and sisters, live in peace. And that means don't repent for their bad doing, but if you say something that's wrong, own it. And I am sorry. It was wrong of me to say it. Or it was wrong of me to say what I said in the way that I said it. But remember, finally, this sounds pretty bleak. I mean, no one can control the tongue is what he says. And you may want to be tempted to throw your hands up and say, oh, remember, in Christ, you are born again. He has brought us forth as the first fruits of his word, he says in 118. By the word of truth, his speech, the Lord's speech, has given you life. And the purposes of hell and Satan will not have their way. The Holy Spirit will prevail. And in the end, death, hell, they both get thrown into the lake of fire. So, upon remembering that you are born again, and that the Holy Spirit is at work, and that the purposes of hell will not prevail, rejoice. But in the same way, there's us as people who are spoken to. And just as you need to remember that your tongue wants to serve hell's purposes, as you're listening to someone, you need to remember that their tongue is seeking to advance the purposes of hell. Are you going to let it by responding to it in a way that actually falls right into its plans? Restrain yourself and your response. Again, when someone speaks, you have a choice to either fan the flames and hear the devil laughing in the background, or maybe the best thing you can do is tamp it out by not responding in kind 
restrict the airflow. All fires need air. And you know one of the worst things we do? We give things air by repeating them unnecessarily. Did you hear what that jerk just said? And now someone else hears it. And now someone else is angered. So, remember there's a great spiritual war. Remember that your speech is a principal instrument by which the devil seeks to advance the purposes of hell in and through you. It is why the Bible spends so much time speaking to us about the potential for greatness and harm from our mouths. It is why it is an area we must intentionally mortify by the Spirit's help. So brothers and sisters, let us be people who are not characterized by being double-minded. We all know it sounds disgusting. I'm sorry. For me, it sounds disgusting when, when some musician who is horribly immoral or, and godless, famously immoral and famously godless, stands up and sings some spiritual as if they're pious. And, and it's like the beauty of their voice is transformed from beauty to, to a hideous shriek in my ears. Let our voice not be like that. Let us be people who with our words and with our speech serve the purposes of heaven and let it adorn a beautiful life. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you have given us birth by the word of your truth, that just as your word brought forth life, you invite us by our words to nurture life in others. Forgive us for when and where we have served and advanced the purposes of hell unwittingly through our speech. Grant that by your spirit we would be armed with truth and that we would mortify the flesh and live by the spirit and speak words of grace and peace to one another. We ask that even when we are called upon by duty to correct or reprove or rebuke, that we would do so with heavenly purposes in mind, and that we would in all ways be humble before you because we ourselves stand in constant need of repentance and forgiveness. We ask for your mercy, O God, in Christ's name. Amen.